Good morning. Good to see you guys. Good morning to everyone tuning in at home. Um, I'm once again. I'm excited to have the opportunity to be able to stand here and preach God's word. Uh, I think the last time I preached, we were still outside, and uh, we were just wondering if we were going to get completely poured on. Because as I'm preaching, cracks of thunder are getting closer and closer. Um, thankfully, we don't have to deal with that today. Hope, hopefully. If I hear a crack of thunder, I'm going to assume it's a very loud snore. Um, and I'm going to find you. Wake you up! But uh, anyway, we are continuing in our series, Philippians Gospel Joy. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn there. Let's get to Philippians chapter 1. And we'll be picking up uh, right where we left off last week. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18. We are in week 3 of a four-month journey through this book. And uh, I think it's going to be a really encouraging four months for us. So uh, I hope, uh, I should hope that it would be with the uh, subtitle, Gospel Joy. Um, if you remember, Paul is writing this letter from his imprisonment in Rome around 60 to 62 AD, um, which we'll talk more about his imprisonment uh, this morning as it's very pertinent to the start of our text. And he's writing to a church that he planted 10 years earlier with Timothy and Silas. And this was the first church that Paul had started in Eastern Europe. It was a pretty big deal. And Philippi it was this Roman colony which was, was just rich with this patriotic nationalism. The people there loved, loved being Romans. And they loved the Roman culture. So what this did is it created hardship for Paul and, and other Christians in Philippi because preaching Christ as Lord was 100% countercultural uh, to what they were used to. It upset their belief systems, and in some cases, it took away people's ability to capitalize off of others. We saw this in Acts 16, week 1, uh, in the intro, when, when Paul commands an evil spirit in the name of Jesus to come out of a young slave girl. And, and when she's freed from its possession, her owners have Paul and Silas tossed into prison. Why? Because he took away their ability to gain money from using this girl who's demon-possessed. And so what did they do? They went to the officials. They said, these, these men are disturbing the city. They're advocating customs that are not lawful for Romans to do. But the challenge of the culture, it didn't discourage Paul. It, he still had joy. Even as Paul and Silas sat in prison after, after that, that circumstance, they didn't stew over the bogus charges. They were, they were singing hymns. They were singing praises and praying. And they were ministering to the, the prisoners and the guards. Right? It's where we see this awesome conversion of the Philippian jailer who thought, oh no, everyone's escaped. But everyone stayed and he comes to follow Christ. If Paul couldn't preach the gospel in the streets, he'd do it in a jail cell. And even though all this took place uh, 10 years prior to the, the time that this letter is being written, Paul's attitude remains the same. 
He might even be more joyful now as he writes to this church, um, as he's imprisoned once again. And last week we saw his prayer for the church. He said, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. He was joyful because of their partnership with him in the gospel. And he's thankful for their faithfulness to the mission of God and defending and confirming the gospel. See, Paul's not, he's not just writing this generic missionary update letter. He has a, a, a real connection with this church, a true love and a care for this church. He says in verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He loves this church. A church of misfits birthed out of suffering, yet remaining steadfast in their faithfulness to their ministry. And Paul prays that they continue in that. Right? He said, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a wonderful prayer. If you were someone in Philippi struggling to stay the course, what an encouragement this letter would be. What, you're only two paragraphs into it. You're already encouraged by prayers, Paul, or Paul's prayer. <laughs> Paul. So that's where we left off last week. I'll just go from there. So this week, Paul's encouragement continues as he gives us an update of what's going on in his world. So he prayed for them and what's going on in their world. And now he gives us an update. Here's what's going on with me. And that's what brings us to verses 12 through 18. So let's, let's look at those together. Chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Indeed, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Amen. So what we'll, we'll see in this passage this morning is a joy that comes from gospel advancement. The and when our hearts are fully captivated by Christ and living for the sake of the cause of the gospel and bringing Him glory, that's what becomes what matters the most. And we'll see that the joy of gospel advancement comes despite circumstances. The joy of gospel advancement comes despite the consequences. And we see that joy, the joy of gospel advancement comes despite motives. So let's look at the circumstances. So Paul's continuing in his letter here, and he starts with um, reminding them what has happened to him. He's most likely referring to his current imprisonment, uh, his house arrest in Rome, 
But he could be remembering all that has happened to him up to this point. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he, he lists all these different things that have, uh, he's had to endure during his time in ministry. This letter was written about five to seven years before the Philippian letter, but still think, this is what Paul has gone through. He still has joy, but let's just think about this. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four to 28 says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times shipwrecked. You think, well, that's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, right? Three times he was shipwrecked. And day and night I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. And toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. <sighs> Needless to say, Paul's been through a lot. And this, again, he wrote Second Corinthians, or First uh, Corinthians, no, second, whatever I said. Five to seven years before Philippians. I would probably say that the majority of us, compared to what Paul has endured, life has been a chip throat through the tulips. Even by 2020 standards, Paul went through a lot. And now he's in prison once more awaiting possible execution at the hands of the Romans. And, and what is his focus? It's on the gospel. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The sense I get from the statement is, I want you to know, brothers, that all that I've went through has been worth it. He'd probably be a madman to say it, but I, I would guess that Paul would be willing to endure it all again if it meant people would come to know Christ. That's what Paul means by advance the gospel. The gospel is going out. It's being proclaimed. People are being reached with the good news. They are believing and repenting, and the, the church is growing. And everything that has happened to Paul has at least been to the end that the gospel advances. This, the Greek word for, for advance, uh, pokopane, which has this meaning like pioneering, forging ahead, creating a path. That's the gospel's doing. It's creating a path. It's forging ahead. There was one summer that I did land surveying in between college semesters. And uh, sometimes there were just jobs in the middle of the woods that no one had walked through before. And we had to like do like a straight line through, get this topographical reading, whatever. But we had to hack through with machetes which looks so cool on tv until you're the one doing the hacking and you're like oh this is exhausting where's the trail we had to make the trail that's what paul's doing that's what that's what's happening with the gospel a trail is being blazed the gospel is going to places that it had never been to before as captain kirk would say to boldly go where no man has gone before Paul is the one leading the way. 
Um, another way that that word could be taken would be as like a general leading troops. That's what Paul's doing. He's, he's leading them. And despite his circumstances, the gospel's going forward. And he's given the Philippian church a reassurance that though he's imprisoned, the ministry hasn't stopped. It hasn't halted. I like how a theologian Kenneth Wiest puts it. He says, Our God-ordained or God-permitted circumstances are used of God to provide for a pioneer advance of the gospel in our Christian service. End quote. In other words, our circumstances don't dictate whether the gospel will still advance. God will see to it that the gospel advances despite our circumstances because where we are, where we are at in life has been ordained by God. Look here in verse 13 where the gospel is reached. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. See, Paul's present circumstances, it took him off the streets, but it provided for him an entirely new captive audience. See, under house arrest, Paul would have this rotation of guards that would come through with him. And actually, many commentators believe that these guards were chained to him. So it's like getting seated next to Paul on an airplane ride to Australia. Like, you're there. You're there for a while. And guess what Paul's doing? He's preaching the gospel to you. And you can't go anywhere. You're stuck next to him. And Paul says the gospel has been proclaimed to the whole imperial guard. The imperial guard, uh, or as some translations say the praetorian guard, was made up of about 9,000 soldiers. These guys got the double pay. They got the special assignments. Um, They were a pretty elite crew. And if when Paul says the whole imperial guard, if he means the whole imperial guard, that's 9,000 people that he's able to preach the gospel gospel to through one enchainment after another. See, Paul could impact that many people because of the way he lived, the way he moved. He lived, moved, and breathed gospel. That's what he was about. By God's grace, Christ had, had captivated all of him. So if he wasn't talking to the guards specifically, he was probably dictating a letter, which of course was going to be saturated in the truth of the gospel. Maybe he's meeting and have a, a visit with someone. Whatever Paul was doing, the gospel would be advancing. It was making its way through the ranks of the imperial guard. And if anyone was to wonder, why is this guy here? Five seconds, he'd be like, oh, this is why. Oh, yeah, he believes in Christ. It was known to the imperial guard and all the rest. So, so the imperial guards, they would have various duties. They weren't just on Paul duty. So they'd probably go to Paul, hear the gospel. They'd go somewhere else. And, and that gospel might move through them. Because even though... It was a countercultural gospel that some people were offended at and rejected. It was also countercultural that people might hear it and go, that's, that's freedom, that's hope, that's joy. And these guards would believe, and then they would share that good news. So it, it multiplied out to, to people probably in high-up positions. I mean, these guys weren't just mingling with anybody. They had duties with people high up in the Roman government in this colony of Philippi. 
So the gospel is advancing, and Paul rejoices. The gospel is advancing despite Paul's circumstance to the imperial guard and beyond. And as, as I'm reading through this, the question that keeps popping up in my head as I think about Paul's imprisonment and his zeal for Christ while he's being imprisoned, and he has this constant preaching of the gospel, is the question I ask myself is, would I? Would I be just as zealous? If I were under house arrest with a captive audience all the time, would the result be that everyone who came in contact with me would know I was about Christ all the time? Would they know that he's my ultimate joy above all else? Is he my ultimate joy above all else? Would it be evident? I would hope it would be. But if it's not now, why would it be then? It would be a challenge for all of us to think through. The vast majority of us, now I'm not saying everyone, but many of us have a captive audience at our fingertips on a regular basis, right? Social media. Do people see the gospel and how we interact on social media? And I don't mean those little share this post if you love Jesus thing and it's like blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus sitting there with a lamb. People scroll past it. I'm just saying. People scroll past it. Good intentions, we appreciate it. But maybe not those. But what is our attitude and demeanor like on there? What is the content we share like? If more people know whether we lean right or left more than they know if we believe in Christ or not, What is, that, what is that saying? Or, or, or the, the, the inverse could, could be, you know, we can, we can flip this on its head and say, yeah, maybe we look really good on social media. We share all the right things. People go on and they go, this person's fired up for Christ. And they meet you in person. And it's like, whoa, what a joyless human being that is. This isn't what I saw on Instagram. Whether it be the digital realm, uh, however you interact with people, our day-to-day lives, are we living in such a way that the gospel can advance in word and in deed? I'm not saying I do it perfect. Katie's sitting right here. She'll, she can turn around and give you a nod. Not, not perfect. Not, not, not close. This is a challenging text for myself as well. This is a question we need to pose to ourselves. Paul was consistent in how he wrote and how he lived. And the gospel advanced despite whatever circumstance he was in. And others saw it. And as they saw it and witnessed it, the gospel continued to advance further through them despite their possible consequences. It's always interesting to me how, how suffering and hardship and trials, and persecution can actually be inspiring. Like it's so, it would be so easy for, see, for people to see Paul get tossed in the prison time and time again and just become discouraged. Like this is what's happening? I mean, that's Paul. He keeps getting tossed in jail. What's going to happen to us? We don't have the stature he has. And it'd be so easy to just... to. Paul's in prison again, let's hide away. 
Let's hide away. Let's shut down. Let's become secretive. Let's not speak up about the gospel. It could have instilled a real fear into the people in Rome. But the, because the reality would set in that if Paul can go to prison for speaking Christ, well, I could go to prison. Do I want to go to prison? Do I want that to happen? I'm going to retreat back. They won't even know. It would be way better if this was a pulpit that didn't, you know, I could actually hide. I became more, more visible. On camera, though, live stream, I ducked down. You saw that. I think Pastor Lou is watching this, so. Embarrassing. <laughs> but we actually, we see the opposite taking place. These, again, he's telling the Philippian church about what's happening in Rome. He says, And most of the brothers and sisters... Brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, when it says brothers in there, if you have an ESV, it has a footnote. Brothers and sisters. It's the believers in Rome. By God's grace, other believers are being bold. Paul goes to jail. They become more bold. They're speaking up. They're not letting fear be the motivator. Desiring God, which is the, uh, the ministry of Pastor John Piper, they put out an article a few years ago uh, called Four Reasons We Don't Share the Gospel. The first reason is a lack of gospel knowledge. We may not fully comprehend the message enough to share it. The second is apathy. We just don't care. Um, we have a lack of a care for the mission of God or about lost people. And the third reason on that list was fear. We're afraid of what people might think, or we're afraid of the consequences that might come from sharing the gospel. Now, the article of this author is Stephen Lee, and he wrote this about our fear. He said, what will others think of me? What if they don't like me or my family? Some are paralyzed by the thought of being disliked, marginalized, laughed at, openly mocked. We're afraid we'll lose business or get passed up for that promotion. What if they stop inviting my kids to the birthday parties? What if talking about Christ makes seeing my neighbor awkward? What if they lump me together with Ned Flanders or the Westboro Baptist Church cult? End quote. You know, has stuff like this, has that crossed your mind? I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor in the church, and sometimes these things go through, through my head. You know, with each new person I meet, and the question says, well, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Like... Sometimes it gets awkward fast because they may have swore briefly before that and then they go, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but when I say that, like even within myself, I get a little apprehensive because I'm like, I'm going to say this and I don't know what's going to happen. Like there's like a little bit of fear in just me. I didn't share the gospel. I didn't say who, I, what, where I was a pastor, what I was a pastor of. I mean, I, I, I just answer the question. I literally get this little bit of like, Seems weird, right? It happens to us too. But for some reason, that's our tendency. We let insecurity and fear drive us. And the result is that the, the mission of God and preaching the gospel to make new disciples gets pushed to the side. Now, the, the article doesn't just point out what's wrong. It says, how, how can we overcome 
these obstacles to sharing our faith? And the answer is community. By pouring into one another's lives, living together in gospel community, sharing stories with one another about our encounters with people, good and bad, sharing about what God is doing in our lives, talking about the fears and the apprehensions we have so we can, so we can preach the gospel to one another and encourage one another. That's what Paul's doing here. He, he's writing to the Philippian church, an area that they live in an area hostile to the gospel, and he's telling them, listen, guys, I'm in prison, and, and Rome's not clamming up. They're speaking out. Be encouraged. There's more boldness. There's more confidence. So Philippians, stay the course, stay faithful, because the gospel will advance despite whatever consequences come our way. And the brothers and sisters, they weren't bold in their own strength, right? They're, they're, they're empowered by the Spirit, but there's also, they saw Paul's confidence in Christ. They, they heard Paul's passion for gospel ministry, and that bred confidence in them. And you can see, even with Paul in prison, they're, they're in community and they're helping one another stay on mission. Right? Paul inspires them. He instills confidence through his letters, his visits. He demonstrates his faithfulness to the work of the gospel. And in turn, their desire to speak the word without fear brings Paul joy. And that cycle of mutual encouragement continues. Paul inspires they speak. He's inspired. He has great joy, all centered on the gospel going out and being in community. You can just see how overjoyed Paul is as he mentions this to the Philippians. And his hope is that by sharing this, well, then the Philippian church would also have a boldness and a confidence. Gospel advancement takes place where there's gospel partnership where there's gospel relationships with other believers. Yeah, there might be repercussions. There might be consequences. There might be some really awkward interactions. Definitely awkward interactions. But what is the consequence if we never share Christ? What is the consequence for, for people who, who've never heard the gospel? Eternal punishment. Hell, right? What's worse? See, Paul lived with an eternal perspective because the gospel has eternal implications. So that's why Paul is able to preach to the guards rather than cursing them and hating them. He's able to encourage fellow believers rather than sulk in his own pity party because his joy and his confidence is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in Christ and all that Christ has done. And that overflows into other believers. I played uh, four years of college baseball. And in that four years, I had three different coaches. The first coach I had, uh, he knew the game, but he was like so laid back and just not coach-like that it created that culture within the team and didn't go so well. Then we got a different coach. I guess he knew the game. He wasn't that great at coaching. He wasn't that great at throwing a baseball, which I feel like, <laughs> test number one, can you throw? You can't? Okay, you probably shouldn't coach people on throwing. I, don't, I hope he doesn't watch this. 
I don't have contact with him, but you know what I mean. Anyway, this is just an example. He's a great guy. He was very, very nice, but he wasn't a good coach. Then we got a third coach who had a love for the game. He knew the game. He, he commanded respect. And that, in turn, instilled in us a desire to be better players, to be more disciplined. We didn't win anymore, but you know, we felt a lot better about the way we prepared for games and played in games. Um, but we, we still stunk nonetheless. But it was because of who we had coaching us. You know, like he'd actually make us run laps for doing poorly. And so then we're like, well, let's not, let's not do poorly if we can. Let's not try to make stupid mistakes. And we're going to keep each other accountable to that. Together, we all ran. So if I missed like 10 ground balls at first base, very possible. You know, the whole team has to run for that. So then we're all looking out for each other. Um, and that was, a, that was a really good quality to have on that team. And Paul is that coach instilling his passion into other believers so that they would do the same. Our unity on the baseball team wasn't just so we didn't have to run, but we were on a team. We were united for the same cause. See, Paul's boldness behind bars resulted in their boldness on the streets. Paul's confidence in Christ instilled in them confidence in Christ. King's Chapel is a part of this network called the Liberty Church Network. Uh, it's a it's a group of churches locally and across the country working together uh, for the cause of making disciples who make new disciples. And at each gathering we have, we meet uh, once a month, we start things off with sharing wins. A win is something positive that we've had happen um, in terms of evangelism or making new disciples. The hope being that we would be encouraged by one another hearing these stories uh, of ministry wins that we would be fueled to stay the course. And it, it is really encouraging. Like, as you sit there and go, I don't know what's really going on. Another pastor shares, like, well, I had this crazy interaction. You're like, oh my goodness. Things are happening in the capital region. Like, there's, there's conversations taking place, and there's just this energy and this encouragement to, like, keep pressing on. Maybe that's something that our community groups can do. Share about the interactions we have with people. Share about the, the wins that we have uh, in our lives so that we can spur each other on to continue in gospel advancement. We need one another. Together, as a church, as the family of God, we carry out the mission of God despite consequences. So we saw there's, there's gospel advancement despite Paul's circumstance. There's gospel advancement despite possible consequences. And now we'll see there's gospel advancement despite motives. I remember being in philosophy class, and we're, we're discussing altruism. Altruism could be defined as a completely selfless concern for others. And as we dove into that subject matter, eventually... Being in philosophy class, we, we landed on the fact that there is no entirely selfless act. Because if you do something out of kindness, but really you do it for the satisfaction of feeling good about it, well, you're not really only caring about others. You also feel happy, therefore it wasn't completely selfless. And so philosophy class goes on with things like that thought process. And the, the bottom line that... 
the conclusion was that there's always something in it for you, therefore it can never be entirely selfless. And sitting there, maybe 20 years old, I forget how old it was in that time, I'm thinking, that's bogus. I do stuff for others. It's not always for myself. That's ludicrous. And then I realized, for some things in life, though good motives are best, something good can come out of a poor motive and still be a good thing. If someone cleans up a roadway, right, for community service, is it bad that the roadway got cleaned up? No, it's still a good thing. Even if their motive was like, I have to get four hours of community service done to get this off my record. Like, it's not the best motive in the world. Like, and then drives by and throws a Dorito bag out. <laughs> right? It's still good that trash got picked up. So, so what Paul's telling the Philippians in this next section is that good things are, are happening despite some different motives. Right? Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. With the former, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So, verse 14, he tells us about these believers that are emboldened. They're speaking more confidently. And within these, these confident believers in Rome, there's two camps of people. Right? The camp that's, that's preaching Christ through goodwill, and the camp that's preaching out of envy and rivalry. But they're actually preaching one message. It's just two motives. Both were preaching a sound gospel, but both were not preaching it from the same place in their hearts. Now, why do I make this distinction well, because in the last verse here, verse 18, Paul says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, if those people preaching from envy and rivalry had been preaching a false gospel of any kind, Paul would not be rejoicing in the least. Now, if you remember, when we went through Galatians, Paul has no time for false gospels. Remember what he said. He said, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received... Let him be accursed. That's what he says in Galatians. In other words, he's saying, let them be damned. Paul has a zero tolerance policy when it comes to the message of the gospel. As we should. Salvation is through Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, period. There's no wiggle room. So I want to be clear on this. Because when, when the prosperity preachers and the word of faith healers come on our TVs, our response should not be, well, let's rejoice the gospel's going out. That's not the gospel. We don't rejoice in that. They're preaching a cheap, false gospel. If Paul was to see the content of their message, he would not rejoice. He would rebuke. So we rejoice when a sound gospel is proclaimed. We reject false gospels. So what's happening here or in Rome, I should say, is that they're, they're speaking a sound gospel, but they're doing it through different motives. So let's first look at the negative motive. Then we'll go to the positive. I'm kind of a bad news first kind of person, and so was Paul because he started with that. So verse 15, 
He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Now, if you remember, envy is one of those qualities uh, that Paul lists in the works of the flesh in Galatians. That's in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. So to be envious is not a good thing. And, and Paul's writing here, he's not saying, I don't care about envy. No, it's still a sin that we want to see eradicated. Um, so it's not a good thing. It shows a lack of contentment with where God has us in life if we're envious. We're usually envious of someone else's success. And this particular work of the flesh, it can show itself really, really easily in our lives. And we need to be on the lookout for it. We need to pray that the Spirit of God would convict us of envy when it occurs in our lives, especially when it comes to the gospel. This will be my third college illustration of the morning, but back again, when I was in college, the people I would get annoyed with the most would be the really super spiritual, really just like full of joy Christians. They'd bug me. Why? Well, looking back, I was envious. I mean, I didn't know it at the time. I would just, all of a sudden, I don't know, I would be like, oh, I'm so annoyed. But I was envious. Why? They had a joy that I didn't. They had a passion that I didn't. And it would bug me. In the reality, I shouldn't have, I should have been saying, praise God. I wasn't. I, I, I had that, that, that envy. There was, there was that envy in my heart. And this group in Rome, they were envious of Paul's ministry success. They wanted to be known like Paul was known. Everybody knew who Paul was. They wanted to be in the limelight. So that's probably why they had increased boldness and confidence to speak when he was imprisoned. This was their golden opportunity to move up the ranks. Paul says they were doing it from selfish ambition. Verse 17, right? They wanted to to boost themselves while Paul was hindered. They weren't preaching from a sincerity as much to see people saved as they were to to one-up Paul. That's not to say they didn't want people to be saved, but their, their root motivation was, this is our opportunity. Paul's in jail. We're going to take over Rome. And to somehow make him jealous of their ministry. And out of that motive of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, they were preaching the gospel. Now, ironically, the gospel they're preaching, the gospel, it's a message where they're preaching about a perfect Savior who didn't have a bit of envy in himself, who has no rival, and they're preaching a Savior who did the most selfless act imaginable by freely giving his life on the cross to pay for sin. So, Motivated by envy and rivalry, they're preaching the complete opposite. And this just illustrates uh, the importance of preaching the gospel to ourselves regularly. Reminding ourselves of of God's holiness, His goodness, and and seeing our own sinfulness. So we're, we're not doing the same thing. Saying one thing motivated by another. So that we can repent and by God's grace walk in step with the Spirit. Because if we don't preach the gospel to ourselves, then we get wrapped up in worrying what other people think of us or worry about what other people are doing and how we stack up to them, we're just going to be doing things to try and puff ourselves up. 
and we're going to be trying to soak in information, and we're going to be missing transformation. The beauty of the transforming power of the message that we're proclaiming. And that result, you know, poor motives. Remember Paul's prayer last week. He wants them to approve what is excellent. See, the fact that this group is, is preaching a correct gospel from a terribly sinful motive is not good. It is not even close to excellent. It's okay. It's okay. There's the gospel going forth. We rejoice in that. But it's not excellent. If this is how, you know, if this is how the church operated on on a regular basis, was just doing everything for selfish ambition and envy. Oh, what a mess. We need to examine our hearts daily. Does, does, Christ, does the Christ we claim also lay claim to our hearts? Are we motivated by a desire to see Christ glorified or ourselves? This is an important, a particularly important question for people in ministry like myself but it's still pertinent for anyone living on mission. Is it for his glory or ours? Now let's look at the example of people preaching Christ through right motives. 15b. But others preach the gospel from good will. The good will here is the Greek word eudokia, which means kind intent, benevolence, delight, pleasure. See, this would be in the category of of excellence, right? This group, they delight in the gospel spreading. They delight purely in speaking for Christ. They're doing it not as a means to an end, but as an end to itself. Their motive wasn't to preach the gospel so that they may gain some stature which will, in turn, that stature will bring them delight. No, preaching the gospel and and having a relationship with Christ, that is what brought them delight. And out of a love for their Savior and a love for others, they spoke with boldness and confidence. Right? Verse 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. They love Paul. They love the gospel. He's in jail. Let's step it up. Let's continue the work that he started. There's a, a love for God, a love for their mentor, and a love for the people of Rome. And they spoke with boldness. Paul may be in prison, but the message would not be. Right? They took up the mantle, they continued pressing on in love. That, that Paul's imprisonment would not be in vain. Going back to baseball. You know, this just kind of reminds me, you know, after a starter's thrown hopefully seven good innings, you're a reliever coming in. You don't want their work to be in vain. You want to step up to the mound. You want to throw your best so that your team can win. See, the first group, the envy and rivalry group, they're the kind of relievers who think that they should be starting pitchers and pitch with the motive of, well, I'm going to show up the last guy. But we are all on the same team. We should be coming in, helping. How can we help the team win? The other guy, he's in the dugout now. He did a great job. Let's continue pressing on. See the team succeed. That's how the church should function, right? We're all working together. 
both the local church and globally, the, the church as a whole, the universal church, spreading the truth of the gospel in love for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God and nothing else. Not for the sake of building up our own little kingdoms. So if this is how it should be, then why does Paul conclude with whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Why is he not fired up about them ministering essentially out of the flesh? Why is he not writing a scathing letter about their attitudes and their motivations? Simply because Paul knew that their insincere preaching of Christ was leading to sincere conversions to Christ. Their insincere preaching of Christ was leading to sincere conversions to Christ. They're both preaching a true gospel and the Spirit of God, therefore, is still at work transforming hearts, taking them from being hearts of stone, unbelieving, cold towards God to hearts of flesh, willing to be changed and shaped to look like Christ. And that's what causes Paul to rejoice. Because he didn't care. He didn't care if he was the biggest name. He didn't care if other people wanted him to fail. And if, if, they're, and if in their effort to make him fail, they're preaching Christ and people come to know Christ, amen. If the end result was the truth of Jesus' atoning and redemptive work being preached, he was overjoyed. He was encouraged. He was motivated to keep on going because the gospel was advancing. People were hearing the message. The message that Jesus Christ, the eternal God, took on flesh, came into a fallen world, dwelled among his creation without sinning, and willingly gave his life so that our sin could be dealt with on the cross. He shed his blood that we might have life bearing the weight of what sinful man should bear. Right? This message is still going out despite their motives. The message that Christ defeated death and, and actually overcame the grave. And he's not in it, but is seated at the right hand of the Father because the work has been finished. Sins have been forgiven for all who trust and believe in him. See, we're no longer separated from God, but are adopted into his family, into his kingdom, right? That's the message continually still being preached. And knowing that brought Paul tremendous joy. Do we believe that message this morning? Have we trusted Christ? Have you trusted Christ? If you haven't, make today the day. Trust and believe. Receive the hope that Paul lived with. Receive the joy that Paul lived with. Paul lived with an, an eternal perspective. He understood that, that getting wrapped up in pettiness it wouldn't serve to advance the preaching of the gospel. He knew bitterness for being locked up wouldn't serve to advance the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul tells the church, he doesn't run this race aimlessly. He's running this race as one seeking to obtain the prize. He's running to win. He's not strolling through knowing the finish line will eventually come. He's running with enthusiasm, with a passion, as one who wants to win. 
But he's not tripping other people to ensure that he's the main guy, that he is the victor, right? He's taking others along with him, helping them so that they too would run with the same passion. Because he cared about seeing the gospel advance. If he only cared about seeing himself advance, he'd try to tear others down. He doesn't. He brings them along. He encourages them. He says, you keep preaching. I can't do it as well. You keep doing. And that's going to bring me joy. And his imprisonment, his desire was to see the gospel advance despite his circumstance. And he was encouraged by other believers having a desire to see the gospel advance despite the possible consequences. And Paul rejoiced that the gospel advanced despite differing motives. So in the the next two songs we're going to sing as our time corporate worship concludes, we're going to sing the truth of the message of the gospel. And we're going to sing our response to it. And when we do that, let's, let's not listen, as we always should, but let's not just let these be lyrics on the screen we're just singing along with. But let's sing them together with sincerity. That the truth of the gospel would resonate in our souls and that our response would be joy and to, to live on mission in a way that makes Christ known, to live in a way that he would receive all glory and that we would have exceeding and abundant joy in him. Let's pray together. Father, may we be a people that relish the gospel. That Jesus Christ would be our sole source of satisfaction and joy. We, we ask that you would give us faith to trust in you in all circumstances. To rejoice in all circumstances, knowing that this is your will for us in Christ Jesus. We ask that our confidence in Christ would result in the bold proclamation of the gospel. Forgive us of, of any envy or rivalry or resentment for others that is built up within us. That we would be motivated purely by the love that you've shared, uh, shown to us and the love for other people. Spirit, we ask that you be at work in our hearts and our minds to shape us and mold us to look more and more like Christ. That it wouldn't even be a question of who we worship or who we live for because our lives would just reflect our Savior. That's our prayer. We ask that your gospel would just advance as a result of the work you're doing here at King's Chapel through the people here and that we would rejoice in it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.